0: Our text this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke in chapter 18, verse 1 to verse 8. Chapter 18, verse 1 to verse 8, and we're looking at the discipline of intercession. Let us look at God's Word as as I read from the ESV, Luke chapter 18, verse 1 up until verse 8. This is what the Word of God says, And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, On the earth. Let us take this time and pray to the Lord. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, what a joy it is indeed to draw near to you and remember that you are a Father who responds and, and, and answers speedily when we call out to you. Thank you, Lord, that we have a Father who truly cares for us father who knows our needs as we draw near to you to consider this text we pray that our hearts will be drawn to you with confidence that we may draw near to you speedily in the wonderful name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen the the gospel according to luke has a special focus on prayer Again and again, Luke deals with this subject as he records the, the teachings of Jesus. And it is not surprising, therefore, that we, we find the strongest statement here on the discipline of intercession in, in the passage that we, we just read. As he comments on what Jesus Christ is teaching, Luke says that Jesus was saying to people that people ought always to pray and not lose heart in verse 1. Then he proceeds to give and list five examples of prayer in this very chapter. He cites the case of the praying widow in verse 3, a praying Pharisee in verse 10, a praying publican in verse 13, a praying ruler in verse 18, and a praying beggar in verse 38. And how true is that, that we ought always to pray and not lose heart? I want us to consider this passage this morning and my 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 goal and my desire is that as we we hear the words of this passage as we consider what Jesus Christ is saying here that we will grow with more confidence to always draw to the Lord in prayer to always draw near that we will come to appreciate the sweet hour of prayer in this passage we see three important considerations that are implicit in our text. Three important considerations that are implicit in our text. First, the absolute necessity of prayer. Secondly, the seriousness of, um, the serious activity of prayer. And thirdly, the simple reality of prayer. First of all, the absolute necessity of prayer. Look at verse 1. Luke says and he told them a parable to the effect that they always they ought always to pray and not lose heart in in, in, in this words um the, 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 the I think we should realize that if if these were the only words in the Bible concerning prayer, they would be enough to convince any reasonable Christian on the necessity, the absolute necessity of prayer, and especially because they are spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When you examine the context here, you discover that this call to prayer is related to the challenging discourse in which Jesus has, has just delivered um, on the subject of his second coming. He had just described the increasing godlessness that would be evidenced in the world as he, before his return, he he has warned of the carelessness, worldliness, and, and sinfulness which would climax in divine judgment. Then without a break, Jesus said that with this looming event, they, they ought always to pray and not lose heart. It is important to observe here that in speaking of his second coming, our Lord Jesus referred to two Old Testament personalities that have to do with prayer. The one was Noah and the other was Lord. It was as if the master, our Lord Jesus Christ, had been saying in the context of an evil world, there are two things that can happen to the Christian. He can either pray and triumph or he can neglect prayer And faint and fall. With that in mind, let us observe that first of all, prayer prevents fainting in our spiritual work. Prayer prevents fainting in our spiritual work. Look at that passage again. Jesus was teaching in verse one: they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This this function of prayer is illustrated by the life of Noah. We read that Noah walked with God in Genesis chapter six, verse nine. In a world of godlessness, such as had never existed on the face, face of the earth, God looked upon Noah as a righteous man and, and commissioned him to be a preacher of righteousness to his generation. When you look at what Peter says in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5. For one hundred twenty days, he preached with the hope of bringing his his contemporaries to to repentance and reformation, but they laughed and mocked him. Noah was Noah remained faithful and went through with God's plan of building the ark. And as we consider this, it is important that we pause and ask ourselves how, in such a context, Noah maintained such a quality of faith and how he kept sane, locked up in, a, in an ark full of animals and a family who were not completely one with him. The answer surely is that he was a man of prayer who kept in touch with heaven. Eventually, we are told that the waters subsided and Noah came out of the ark and built an altar and offered bent offerings unto his God. And we read in, in Genesis chapter 8 verse 21, and the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Then tragedy struck. Noah must have thought that he could relax and live on his good reputation. In a word, he must have stopped praying because the Bible tells us in chapter 9, verse 20, 20 and 21 of Genesis, that Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. From this point, it seems that he no longer walked with his God. For although he lived for over 300 years after the flood, we do not hear much about him. He stopped praying and he failed in his spiritual walk. That is the story of Noah, and it could well be the story of your life as well. And I wonder if Isaiah was thinking of this same issue uh, of being weary in our spiritual walk uh, spiritual when he wrote in Isaiah 40 verse 29 to 31. He says, Give, God gives power to the faint and, and to him who has no might he increases strength. Even youths shall fail, shall, shall faint and be weary and young men shall, be, shall, shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, prayer is an absolute necessity to save us from losing heart in our spiritual walk. But that is not all. We observe again that prayer prevents failing in our spiritual witness. Prayer prevents failing in our spiritual witness. When you look at that phrase again in verse 1, they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Uh, Then Jesus added in verse 8, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth? Whether there's a fainting Christian, there will be a failing Christian. And Lord illustrates this failure in our personal witness. Look at the drift in his life. First of all, he pitched his tent towards Sodom in Genesis chapter 13, verse 12. Then he dwelled in Sodom, as Peter tells us in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 8. And he finally sat in the gate of Sodom in Genesis 19, verse 1. Carelessness, worldliness, and sinfulness characterized his life and his weakness was rendered useless. When Abraham prayed for Sodom to be spared in Genesis chapter 18, you, you will remember that there were not, not even 10 righteous people that were found in that city. And although Lot was, was sufficiently righteous to be troubled in his spirit about what was going on in Sodom, his witness made no impact on, 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 on his godless neighbors. He failed to witness. And why is this the case? The answer is that he did not pray. He drifted away from God. And I cannot imagine two more dramatic and vivid illustrations to support the absolute necessity of prayer than the lives of Noah and Lot. But our text takes us further. The discipline of intercession teaches us also, secondly, the serious activity of prayer, the serious activity of prayer. As Jesus teaches them that they ought always to pray and not lose heart, once again, he he uses a story to clearly explain the activity of prayer. His parable had to do with the friendless widow who received justice from a wicked judge because she was persistent. Notice in verse 4 and verse 5, when Jesus Christ explains using this parable, he says, for a while... This judge refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. After telling this parable, our Lord makes an application to his disciples in verses six. To verse 7, he says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? You see, the, the lesson is obvious here. If persistence obtains so much from a wicked man, how much more will it obtain for the children of God from the righteous judge, their father in heaven? That the the Lord Jesus was teaching here that the activity of prayer demands, first of all, constancy in coming to God. It demands constancy in coming to God. Uh, Hanging still on the exhortation of verse 1, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. In verse 5, the judge says about the woman, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Are we characterized by consistency in our prayer life? It is a sad commentary on, on, on life that the average Christian spends no more than seven minutes in prayer each day. Is it any wonder that the church of Jesus Christ is losing heart and failing? It is true, of course, that prayer is more than an activity limited to, to public or private worship. It is an attitude of life. When Jesus Christ says to them that they ought always to pray, he was undoubtedly implying the prayerful frame of mind which should characterize all God's children. And it is a wonderful experience to be in the company of a person who lives in the attitude of prayer. When the moment comes to lead an intercession, there is nothing forced or unnatural about such praying. One is conscious that the words are just a vocal expression of a life already in touch with God. Uh, But by this attitude of prayer, uh, this attitude of prayer must never um, replace the activity of prayer. There is something necessary and, and disciplinary in coming to God in prayer. God is never wearied by our constant coming to him. He he waits for us with a longing heart. Indeed, as Jesus Christ said to the woman of Samaria, that the Father is seeking such to worship Him. The activity of prayer demands constant um, coming to God. The activity of prayer, secondly, desires the urgency of crying to God, the urgency of crying to God. Look at verse 7. Jesus Christ says, And will not God give justice to His elect? Who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? There is never a moment in in your life and mine when we are not in urgent prayer, in urgent danger. The devil is ever ready to attack. When we stop praying, without prayer, we are utterly defenseless. Paul's words in his Ephesians chapter 6 are, are very relevant to, to prepare us for this constant spiritual battle we are daily faced with against our arch enemy, the devil. In verse 11, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And in verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplications and may god in his mercy stamp these two little words on our hearts constancy and agency in prayer and perhaps the most precious thought in our text on the discipline of prayer is is thirdly the simple reality of prayer the simple reality of prayer, still hanging on the exhortation of verse 1 that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. We see here that prayer opens heaven to us. Prayer brings us into the dimension of reality as against the artificiality of the world outside. Prayer gives us a sense of at-homeness, because we remember that we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. Prayer revitalizes us with the atmosphere of God's presence. The simple reality of prayer is demonstrated here by the fact that intercession reveals God. Intercession reveals God. Uh, Look at that little phrase in verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect? In in using this parable, uh, some people compared God with the unjust judge here. uh, But surely that is inappropriate. This judge was a man with no sense of justice or or fair play. He did not regard God or or man. He, He was only concerned about himself. To put his response in modern terms, as the woman was persisting and importunate and and pushing and and knocking, um, he 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 must have said, if we put it in modern terms, I must answer this woman, or she will nag me to death. Now, such language could never be applied to God. The whole purpose of this parable is to put a sharp contrast between this unjust judge and our wonderful God. Indeed, in the place of prayer, we learn of God's loving interest in us, that God's people are here referred to here as his own elect in verse 7, or his chosen ones. And it can also be translated his precious ones. Just, Just think of it. There is no moment in your life or mine when God is not lovingly interested in us. In the place of prayer, we learn of God's loving patience with us. Talking about God's precious ones, our Lord asked this rhetorical question, will he delay long over them? One of the most heart-melting experiences is to think deeply about the patience of God in all his dealings with us day after day. If we were to receive what is due to us, our due reward for our deeds, we would have been long ago in in hell. But he bears patiently with us day after day. But once more we see here that, that in the place of prayer, we learn of God's lasting goodness to us. Look at verse 7 again, that phrase, Will not God give justice to his elect? (laughs) Right down through the centuries, God has been fair in his dealings with his people. He is uncompromising in his righteousness and graciousness, since he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If you and I want to know what God is like, let us spend more time in prayer. It is in prayer and in the light of his word that God unveils himself to those who take time to be holy. Secondly, we see here that intercession rewards men. Intercession rewards men. Verse 8, he says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. He will give justice to them speedily. God always answers prayer. Sometimes the answer might be, no, my child. And other, on other occasions, it, must, it might be, yes, my child. Or even other occasions, it might be, wait, my child. But whether it is no, yes, or wait, it is an answer. There is no such thing as a denied answer from God. We, we only have to pick our bowels and see this gloriously documented in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Think about it like this. When Abraham's seventh prayed, Rebekah appeared. When Jacob wrestled in prayer, he prevailed with God and with man. When Moses prayed, Amalek was defeated. When Joshua prayed, Achan was exposed. When Hannah prayed, Samuel was born. When David prayed, Ahithophel hanged himself. And when Asa prayed, the battle was won. When Jehoshaphat prayed, uh, God overcame his foes. When Isaiah and Hezekiah prayed, 185,000 Assyrians were destroyed in 12 hours. When Daniel prayed, the lions were muzzled. When Mordecai and Esther fasted and prayed, Haman was executed on his own gallows. When Nehemiah prayed, a king's heart was softened in a minute. When Elijah prayed, a drought came upon the land. And when, when he prayed again, rain descended on the land. When Elisha prayed, the child's soul came back into an otherwise dead body. When the church prayed, Peter was delivered from prison by the hand of an angel. And so we can go on and on with many examples. God answers prayer. Intercession rewards man. The, the, the Bible says in, in Hebrews 11 verse 6, whoever, draws, he, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There are, of course, um, conditions of prayer. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. That is the King James translation. The threefold condition here is clear and comprehensive. When we come in prayer, it must be, first of all, without defilement. He says that men must lift holy hands. It must be without conflict. He says they, it must be without anger. It must be without disbelief. He says without doubting. You see, to come in this way is to secure a sure and speedy answer. So we, we have seen in this text that what we mean by the discipline of intercession. But when Jesus said they ought, always to, they ought to pray and not lose heart. He, he was speaking of the absolute necessity of prayer, the, the serious activity of prayer, and the simple reality of prayer. There is nothing more important in the world than to pray without ceasing. It is this text that draws us to God, to, 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 to be confident in God, that God is unlike that unrighteous um, and unjust judge, God is a righteous judge who answers speedily. He's a good judge. He knows our hearts. And may this passage draw us to him. May it give us the courage and the confidence to know that he listens to us. Amen. May this be a blessing to you as you consider his word for today and the coming week. Amen.